All right, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out how God has given to us. And again, like Tim said, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, or you've just never filled out that Get Connected card, uh, I'd love it if you did that uh, over the next half hour. And then as soon as we're done today, right before you get to the freezing abyss of outside, uh, we've got a gift for you. Uh, so you can drop that off at our info table and take home something that tastes really good uh, as a gift from us. Just to say, hey, thanks so much for making this a big part of your day. You're a big part of ours, and we're excited to spend it together. So. Uh, We're continuing our series called Things Jesus Loves, looking at things that are a big deal to him uh, that should be a big deal to us. And I want to talk for a few minutes about something that, like, I was thinking about how to define this, and I think the best way is an assumed default. Okay, there are things in life that you're supposed to do because that's how you do them. And that's a horrible motivation for actually trying hard at something. Uh, about 10, 12 years ago, I had a lot of friends who golfed, and I don't golf, like, at all. I, it physically, it's not my thing. I, I hit the ball, and it does not go the way that it does on the video game. Like, it's a hard left turn if I can connect. Like, baseball was one thing, but golf, dude, like, it's not good. I'm very attentive at golf in one time of my life. And that is when I'm driving by the golf course at Fowler and Olive because if there's some dude who's trying to line up his putt at that time and he pulls his stick, what's it called, club putter back, you know I'm honking on the horn right at that moment. Like that's really, I, he might hit that putt, but he's going to have a good defense in the way uh, between that ball going in the whole thing, whatever it's called. Uh, I don't golf. The problem was a lot of my friends golfed. And so I tried it a few times, and again, it was horrible. But I did it because, well, all my friends do it, and, you know, like, that's what you're supposed to do. In your young 20s, no babies yet, start golfing. Uh, Over time, thankfully, everybody traded, get this, traded their birdies in for babies. Yep, there you go. Uh, And so now, like, I think I have two or three friends who golf, and one of them has no kids, and one of them has kids who are old enough that they can be gone for, like, four and a half hours. For me, golf is a lot longer than that because when you hit the ball 160 times over 18 holes, it takes a while. Good news is you pay a lot less per stroke if you're hitting the ball 160 times over 18 holes. So Dave Ramsey approves of that one. But but I quit. I quit because it sucked. And I quit because it wasn't fun. And I quit because it wasn't my thing. Today, we're going to talk about something that so many people have quit because for whatever reason, it didn't work for them. The assumed default didn't work. We're talking today, we're talking about the church. You're here, you can hear me, so you're already about 5,000 points in the lead. But it's so easy if we just look at church as the assumed default. You're a Christian, you go to church, or you're an American, and you go to church, or you were raised in the church, and so you're supposed to go to church. The assumed default is a horrible way to do something, because if we're only doing it because that's what we're supposed to do, that's not going to last. It's especially not going to last in our world, where the assumed default is falling apart. Like businesses like Amazon, Airbnb, B&B and Uber exist because people abandoned the assumed default. The, well, if you need a tool, you should go to Sears. Or if you need this, you should go to Sears. If you need a car, you should rent it. If you need a place to stay, you should use it, like pay a bunch of money and get a hotel. Everybody has said that's not what we're doing. So we're living in a world where the assumed default is totally falling apart. And with the church, we want to do it totally differently because it's not just the assumed default. It's so much more than that. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to look at the church today from the eyes and from the word of somebody who spent so much of his life trying to kill it. 
I'm talking, if you're, if you're a church person, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. If you're not a church person, Paul is completely for you because he hated Christians until the day he became one. So his understanding of church is going to be a breath of fresh air for us. It's not just a place where people get together to judge. It's a place where we get to live out the goodness of Jesus. And so we're going to look at that today. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 3.20. You can go there in your Bible or on your phone. Uh, if you're like, I have a phone and I really love reading stuff on here. I'd love to know about a Bible app. Uh, search U version, Y-O-U space version, uh, and that'll pop up something that I use on my phone when I don't have my paper and ink with me. Uh, and you can alphabetize the books also, so it's really easy to find stuff and go from there. So Ephesians 3.20, it says this. We're going to read a lot and then break it up and, and read some more later. Uh, but here's like 13 verses right now. Now, all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him and the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, so in light of how big God is, this is where we step in. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he's given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. What he's saying here is God's work that does more in us than we could ever ask or imagine, which is worthy of praise and honor because it's God and it's so good, is pushed together, put skin on, and mobilized to make a difference in the world in people like us. That's the church. That's God's mission. That's God's method. That's God's design and plan in the church because God looks at the church, which we're a part of in this theater in Southeast Fresno. God looks at us and says, that's my church. And Jesus's church is the hope of the world. Jesus's church is the hope of the world. It's an army of men and women sent out to make a difference in the world, to bring light into dark places, to bring aid and help into hurting places, to raise up leaders that change more than just where they are, but change their world. And all of this is based on Jesus's resurrection. We don't worship an idea. We don't worship a set of doctrine or set of belief. We're excited about an event that happened. When the church started, nobody said, okay, this is about just a theory or just about something. This is about a guy who died and then rose from the dead three days later uh, where people saw everything on both sides of it. They saw the death. They saw the resurrection. And the hope of that, the hope that sins have been paid for, that forgiveness, that new life walks out of the grave with Jesus into a watching world, into a world where God makes incredible things happen. That's how the church was launched. And it was launched as the hope of the world. It was launched because God loves the church and empowers it to grow and move forward. And he does it all by his power through humans, which means it's far from perfect. He does it through humans, which means it's far from perfect. And Jesus has language about this that makes sense. 
At one point, uh, the same guy who's writing in a different place under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Anna is my bride. Uh, On Friday, we celebrate 16 years of marriage, which means that nobody in this room or any other room here in town knows my flaws and my faults better than she does. All right, we got a picture of what we looked at like uh, 16 years ago. Obviously, my flaws did not leave with my hair. That would have been much more uh, acceptable and easy in this. But on that day, we decided and committed to each other and to God and to everyone who was there packed into the place that we're going to spend the rest of our life encouraging each other and loving each other as long as we are both alive. We are in this to win this. And Jesus looks at his bride at the same way. He knows the flaws. He knows the faults. He knows the things that, that if he could make them do life perfectly, this is what would be different. These are the things that would change. And Jesus loves the church. Jesus gifts the church. Jesus washes the church so that it is pure and spotless before him, which means that for us, when we're critical about the church, when we speak evil about the church, about its leaders who are human just like we are, That we're not just speaking critically about the church and about people. We're speaking critically about God's bride. It's been a long, I like to say this, it's been a long time since I got in a fight. But if you come to me speaking critically about my bride, it's always a good time to try something new. And that would be fighting you, all right? When we bring critical complaints and and talk poorly about Jesus' bride, the church, we bring that into the world, especially around people who aren't Christians We're not just sharing our opinion. We are trashing God's bride. That doesn't mean to say that if you've been hurt by the church that you should just stuff all those feelings on the inside. That is the opposite of what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is we have faith in God that he's going to run his church through people who are going to do their best to run this in a faithful way that makes Jesus look good on the outside and also on the inside where it impacts people's lives. But people are always going to fail. No one is here to worship the church leaders and to worship the structure and the teams that we've built here. We are here to worship Jesus who will never fail. We are here to worship our king who will never get voted out of office or taken off of his throne. And what we're going to do as a team, what we're going to do as people, what we're going to do working together to make that a good thing means that we are always going to fail as long as we have a pulse. We get together to worship Jesus, and as we come together and put, put skin on and put motion into God's bride, moving forward into society, that means there will be times that we fail, there will be times that we hurt people, and then we work together, we humbly repent and ask for forgiveness and put lives back together. So we worship Jesus as his bride. We do our best as a church to to make that a good thing in people's lives, make that a thing that doesn't make people want to leave the church as soon as they are able to. And we do that to make a difference in our world. We continue, verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The next thing I want to say about the church is Jesus' church is a family of belonging by believing. 
We're a family of belonging by believing. We don't just gather because it's good to be around and the chairs are nice to sit in on a Sunday morning. We gather because we believe that there's hope in Jesus. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering, what are we all about? Are we just about politics? Are we about just getting together and doing our thing and making sure that our club is good for our members? No, we're about the fact we believe that our sins and everything that we've done in life to hurt ourselves, hurt God, or hurt people has been paid for by Jesus. And when we're happy, that's because we have new life in him. We are a family of belonging by believing. And the symbol of that is this, baptism. All right, baptism is the public declaration that our sins have been forgiven, that we have a new life in Jesus. Last year, we had three baptisms, and I am thankful for all three of them. And I think we can do better this year. The reason I think that is because I believe that, that God is going to continue to grow us. There are 76,000 people living in our corner of the city. 13% of them go to church, which means there's about 67,000 people in Southeast Fresno who are dying and going to hell because they don't yet know Jesus. I want to see some of them become Christians this year, like maybe 67,000 of them. That'd be great. I want to see them say yes to Jesus this year and step into a relationship with him. And that gets flushed out. That says, I'm part of the family. What Jesus did on the cross in the Bible, in all y'all's life, he also did for me. And baptism is the public declaration of that. If you're here and you're out of junior high and you're a Jesus follower who's never been baptized, 2020 is the year for you. We're going to start doing, I'm not saying planning, I'm saying doing. We're going to start doing baptisms on the second Sunday of every month because I'm praying there are people like you that are going to get baptized. And if you're thinking, man, it's cold outside, uh, two things. Uh, One, this is a thermometer, which is really, really good. Uh, And two, we have a great system of getting the water nice and hot, but obviously with the thermometer, not too hot, that you can go into the tank and also come out of the tank afterwards uh, after your baptism and have it be a really, really good day. It's a moment for us of obeying Jesus where he says you should get baptized, to go into all the world to teach who I am and baptize followers. That's, this is our response of what Jesus has done and what he's done for us through the church as we hear about the good news as we're grafted into the family by belonging by, belonging by believing. The baptism is the symbol of that. So if you're here, you're out of junior high, you're a follower of Jesus, you're ready to get baptized. Uh, As you walk out today, there's going to be some pamphlets at our info table that we can give you. It leads you through, okay, what is believer's baptism? Why do we do this? How is this different from other stuff? And how do I get baptized? You can pick up one of those, talk to anyone who's on stage with a microphone, and we'd love uh, to get you locked and loaded for our next baptism, which I'm praying is going to be February 9th. Like you walk up on February 9th and you see the tank outside and the backdrop up there so the pictures look nice and stuff, you'll know it's going to be an awesome day and I'm excited for that too. If you wonder, this is just quick FYI, like why do we wait until people are out of junior high? It's because we want them to make the decision for themselves. It's believer's baptism. So everyone who ends up in the tank makes the decision, I am walking up there, I am getting in there, I am sitting down where there's an X, there's an X on the floor, because that's where we're supposed to sit down. Uh, I am making the decision that this is what I'm doing. And we're also doing it at a late enough point in their life where they're not going to hit 20s after they've gone through some things and say, that didn't count. I want to go back and do that over again. It's at the point where they can say, okay, this is, this is my decision that I am making to follow Jesus in this. 
So it's a family of belonging by believing. And there's another phrase in there that I want to hit. He's talking about maturity, and he says, we're going to do this until we all come to maturity in Jesus. That all is a big word for me because Jesus' church belongs in the midst of the world. Like the church is meant to live on the edge of death for the sake of lost people. There's one point in where Jesus is talking about the church, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not conquer the church. Gates don't move. Right? They are locked in the ground. They're cemented in the ground. They don't move, which means that if something is going to be conquered by a gate or a gate is going to conquer something, that means the something is not staying put. That means the something is bursting through it. And Jesus' plan for the church is it's going to be a force that bursts through the gates of hell, snatches people, and brings them into life. It's not just a church that stays quiet and stays safe and stays protective of all of its people. But it's a church that's running into darkness to make a difference. Last week, the 49ers won, which is why they're playing today, which is why I can say things like, after the Niners win, we're going to go to church. Uh, and the reason they won wasn't because they just pass blocked well. It's because they ran over Minnesota. Right? They, won the, they won the game on the ground because 49ers big guys ran over the guys in purple and white. Uh, because if you're wearing a purple shirt, like the big guys would probably run over you. And that's a picture of the church. It's not just going to stay there and be safe. It's we are going to continue to run into darkness because there are people that we know who don't yet know Jesus. And that's a reason for the church to exist on the edge of death for the sake of lost people. It's not just protective. It's proactive procuring ground and snatching lives from the other side of the gates of hell because that was once us. Not a single one of us was born into a relationship with Jesus. We didn't come out of the womb holy. We came out of the womb selfish and blind to the ways that we hurt people. And over time, God grabbed a hold of us and said, now you're going to live like me. Now you're going to live the life that I have for you. I'm going to teach you a new way to live. I'm going to forgive you of your sins. And then I'm going to send you into the world around people who have no clue who I am, who talk like they have no clue who I am, who drink and do sexuality like they have no clue who I am. Because one day they're going to know about me and they're going to know about me because you're going to go. The church belongs in the midst of the world. The next is Jesus' church is an arsenal of gifted people. If it's going to belong in the midst of the world, it needs gifted people. Verse 14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed around and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Jesus' church is an arsenal of gifted people. I learned this as I was growing up from my parents. Uh, my dad is a professional musician in L.A., uh, so Saturday night he'd be playing at bars, he'd be playing at nightclubs so that we could live indoors and eat food and drink water that comes from the tap and all that stuff. And then he'd leave when they close at 2, drive home in his piece of junk car that he took out the passenger seat so he could put his base cabinet in the seat uh, and continue to drive with the car that God had provided for us. Uh, and at, every morning, every Sunday morning after getting home at 2.30, he's up at 7 to go to church for worship practice. 
because the church is where gifted people and people who have spiritual gifts, i.e. all of us, use their gifts to advance the church. So I grew up every day knowing that Sunday mornings, dad is exhausted. We get home from church, dad goes to sleep because dad got way few hours of sleep so he could play at church. My mom, she's not musical, but she loves to cook and she loves providing food for everyone who's there. So anytime there was a meal at church, mom is in the church kitchen because that's her gift. Is hospitality, is, is making a meal and something that seems crazy, feeding all these people doable and working on a team where that happens. So my sister and I, we grew up seeing this modeled, that church is where you use your gifts. If you're musical, you're musical at church. If you're good around people, you're good around people at church. If you love to provide food for lots of people, you do that at church. If you're good with kids, you do that at church. We're continuing to use the gifts that God has given to us. When we become Christians, when we say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, lead me into the being the person that you created me to be, part of the new life that we have is a spiritual gift. That means that you are already wired for service somewhere in God's kingdom. And it's just a matter of us saying, okay, God, what is this going to look like for me? Is it music? Is it hospitality? Is it whatever? So uh, a few weeks ago, we, we recognized and blessed and thanked Teacher Robin uh, for her two and a half years of uh, leading kids' church here at Mountain View Sunnyside and for doing a phenomenal job as a volunteer. She took it off of life support uh, and returned it back to us two and a half years later in such a good place compared to where she got it and in such a good place for all of us. Uh, and so in first service, in our 930 service, uh, we commissioned Alex uh, because Alex Jansen has taken over kids' ministry. Uh, he is an excellent blend of godliness, an understanding of how to teach God's word, and also the goofiness uh, that he can turn on and turn off as maturity allows and necessitates. Uh, this guy understands kids and understands how to create an environment that's going to be great for our kids, not just to not fall asleep, not just to not hate life, but to love learning about Jesus. So first service, he was up here. We commissioned him. We prayed over him. Uh, we echoed the words of Jesus where he says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Uh, and now he's in kids church teaching our next generation what it is to follow Jesus because he's gifted in that. And so many of you spent last service in there doing the same thing. Or last week you spent your time in there doing the same thing. That we come together as a church because we are all people who have spiritual gifts and we use those for the benefit of the church. Think about like how you came up. So much of your experience here at Mountain View Sunnyside so far has been a good thing because of people like you. People who come here and volunteer and make Sunday mornings awesome here. So you parked, you walked in. One thing that you didn't see as you got here this morning was trash. Because there's a guy who comes at 6.30, helps us set some things, and then it's as soon as everything inside is done, he's got a bucket, he's got gloves, and he's outside making sure that everything looks nice for everyone who comes after him. So you walk in, you don't see trash. You walk in, what you do see after a while is you see a thing of hot water and hot coffee because one of our volunteers, somebody like you, got here early and decided to make hot water and hot coffee so that my son can have his body weight in hot chocolate and run around crazy for the rest of the day while I'm watching the football game with the guys at Joey's house. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> But a volunteer got here and decided they're going to make coffee. Everything outside is going to look nice because they know decorating way better than Pastor Greg and me do. And so they're going to make everything look good outside. So you walk in and you take your kids to the kids' church check-in, which I don't know how to do. Like, I have no clue how to add families, but somebody there does. 
And they figured out a way that you can check your kids in for the first time and every other time after that in a way that is smooth and really, really easy. And they don't do it because we pay them. They're a volunteer. They love you. They want your experience and your kids' experience to be awesome. So you send your kids in, and they go in to learn about Jesus. They learn to go in and learn stories about manna. Like, they're going to come out talking about manna today. And it means, what is it? So if you have no clue of what it means, you're already speaking Hebrew. Congratulations. So our teachers are raising the next generation in how to follow Jesus. They do it because they love them. They love you. So you walk in and you're like, man, I'd love to hear some drums and bass and keys and and maybe a woman's voice. And all those things are provided by volunteers. People who say, I love worship. I love bringing people into God's presence. You're really glad that you got that cup of coffee because the the sermon might go long. And what are you going to do if you get tired? You've already got your coffee. We know you can hear it because the people running sound back there and the people doing the slides, they're volunteers. We want to make sure that the technical aspects of church today are awesome. This is how the church comes together as an arsenal of gifted people to make a difference in the world. As we move into our new building, which I'm hoping is going to be very, very soon, but every date that I've said wrong has been wrong, so we'll just say Thanksgiving and hope that I'm off by, like, I don't know, eight months. Um, We've got some teams that we need to grow. Uh, One of them is our kids' team. Like, our kids' situation is going to get drastically better, uh, and we're going to, all the classrooms are going to have their own rooms and stuff, which means we can't share staff anymore, uh, because that happens in some ways on Sunday mornings. So we need to add people to our kids' team to fit the rooms better and also fit the kids that are going to be coming from the neighborhood. If you're interested in that, you can sign up in the hub on your way out. Second thing that we need to improve is our welcome team. We launched a new welcome team during the 930 service today, uh, and people who are on the welcome team serve one service a Sunday, i.e. the one you already go to, and serve two Sundays a month. Here we've got one entrance to church, and it's those doors out there. At our new building, we're going to have lots of entrances at church, and we want everyone, regardless of how they come in, uh, to feel the warmth and the love of Jesus as they walk in. So we need people to be on our welcome team. Also, with the multiple entrances, we're going to have a security team that understands how to do that stuff well. Uh, J.D. Bennett is sitting in the back because he always sits in the back on Sunday mornings, so he can see everything that's going on. And if there's something uh, that needs to be taken care of, J.D. is in the back, and he's got SWAT experience to lovingly uh, show people the door. But... uh, Uh, if, if that's more your like narrow road of, hey, this is how I serve, uh, that's, that's where you talk to JD after church, because this is going to be the most incredibly welcoming and safest place on Sunday mornings. We're going to do both those things really, really well, because the church is an arsenal of gifted people who work together to move it forward. So next thing is we move it forward as we're growing in every way more and more like Jesus. That means that we're not just going after keeping up with society. We're not just trying to stay woke. We're trying to get mature in Jesus. That means that we walk through life with both hands out, holding hands on either side of us. And one of those hands that we hold is Jesus. We're going for maturity in Jesus. That's why we talk about prayer all the time. That's why we talk about reading our Bibles often is because we want to grow in maturity with Jesus. For us just to become more likable but shallow in our faith is a waste of time. For us to go through life growing in who Jesus created us to be, even at the points when it makes us look different from the world, that's what God has for us. And we do this. We grow in our relationship with Jesus in one hand, and we grow in our relationship with people at the other, which will always, in so many areas, keep us on the outside of what society believes. 
It'll keep us outside of what's acceptable. It'll keep us outside in how we're supposed to treat marriage, how we're supposed to treat sexuality, how we're supposed to treat substance, how we're supposed to treat finances, how we're supposed to treat other people, how we're supposed to treat beginning of life issues like what Anna talked about this morning in Missions Moment, how we're supposed to treat end of life issues, how we're supposed to treat people that are from here and people who aren't from here. This is how we live out the love of God and we do it in a way that will often put us at odds with everyone else. If we just blend in and we tow the society line on everything, there is no use reading the Bible because we already have the thing that we're living at. But if we follow our life the way that Jesus lives, we will have trouble. We will run up against how life is supposed to be because we're living for Jesus and not for here. Because our eyes are set on eternity and not just 2020. And Jesus' church is a school is of spiritual maturity. We talk about things like sanctity of human life day uh, because we live in a world that has a culture of death. That there are lives that are, in some people's minds, uh, life not worthy of life, that it's expendable. That abortion, which is a tragedy, can come in and solve problems when what it does is it creates more. If you're here and you've, you've been through that as a woman or you've funded that as a man, I want to echo what Anna said earlier, what my wife said, the mother of my kids said. And that's that there's freedom and there's hope and there's forgiveness in Jesus. As Christians, we love the cross because that's where our worst decisions of our life were made right, were forgiven. That our bondage was healed at the cross. That our freedom was paid for at the cross. And that our lives mattered to God and mattered to other people from the moment of conception and they will continue to matter until the moment of death when as believers we go to live with Jesus in eternity. And so it's a school of spiritual maturity because what are we doing? We're running after the world with God in one hand and the world in the other hand because we want to make a difference in the lives of people who don't yet know him, even around difficult, painful issues like abortion. We want to go after the love of Jesus in that way and bring that to our world and to our society, even when it's going to make us hated. Jesus warns us of that. He guarantees us of that. You're going to be hated because of me. And we say, okay, God, I surrender my reputation. I surrender whether or not I'm hated to you. And so today, you and I are ambassadors for Jesus' church, and we get to choose how to make Jesus look good. We get to choose. In a moment, the worship team is going to come back up and, and we're going to have a moment to respond and say, okay, God, this is what I'm bringing in today. This is where I want you to work. And I want us to respond in three ways. The first one of those uh, is if you're serving anywhere here, you are an ambassador of Jesus. You are a gifted person who is sent into your area of service because God loves the church. God loves Southeast Fresno and he wants to bring Southeast Fresno into a relationship with him through us. That means you need the power of God. And so I want us to come up and, and sit, stand, kneel, whatever you want to do and pray and just say, okay, God, I want your power. I want fresh power for the area where you have wired me to serve here. I want to do this better than I could. I want to do this the way that you would if you were teaching my toddler class, if you were greeting, if you were running the computer, if you were making coffee. I want to do this the way that you would. If you're also someone who doesn't serve anywhere here because you're not the right person for the job, you are. God's gifted you with a place to serve. God already knows it. And for everywhere that you say, man, that's not me. I'm not the right person for that. God has a place. And so for you coming forward and sitting, standing, kneeling, you're saying, okay, God, wherever it is, I'm going. Let's get there. Take me there. I'm trusting you. 
And the third area I want us to respond is if your attitude about the church is one that's generally dark, one that's calloused, one that says that that's good for everybody else, but the church doesn't work for me, the, the, assumed, or the, the, the default assumption just falls apart on you. Then you're coming up for it and say, okay, God, I want you to change my heart toward the church. I want you to change my heart toward these leaders. I want you to change my heart and my attitude and the words that I say about it as I go out into the world. We're God's ambassadors, and we get to choose whether or not we make Jesus look good. And the more that we say, more that we say, okay, God, here I am. I want to do this well. That's where God jumps in, and he empowers us to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray.